a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Religion Today with Martin Tanner, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. If you enjoy near-death experiences, I invite you to an event free and open to the public this coming Friday, February 26th, from 7 to 8 p.m. The location is the Salt Lake County Complex Auditorium at 21st South, that's 2100 South State Street in Salt Lake City, Utah. The presentation will be the first-hand account from Suzanne Seymour, who at age 12 had a near-death experience when she was skiing with her brother. Her scarf wrapped around the rope of a rope tow that was pulling her up the hill. She struggled to get free but went unconscious. When she got to the top, her neck was broken. Her spirit left her body and... Jesus helped her and took her to a place she calls heaven. She's not a Latter-day Saint. She did not come from a religious home, but she said she just knew it was Jesus who helped her. She was also miraculously healed from her broken neck. Come hear her amazing story this Friday February 25th, 7 to 8 p.m. at the Salt Lake County Complex at 2100 South State Street. If you have any questions about the details, send me an email. Send it to martinstanner at gmail.com. Or if you have any other religious questions, feel free to be in touch with me at that same email address, martinstanner at gmail.com. And I will announce the details of this one more time at the end of this program. Today we're talking about, for this show, evidence for the Tower of Babel. This is an event that's described in the Bible that many people find hard to believe. A tower that reaches up into the heavens, and all at once the language of the earth is changed so that people are speaking different languages. How could this possibly be? Well, let's take a look at the parts of this that are true, the parts that we can demonstrate, and the parts that we have questions about. The story is found in Genesis 11, chapters 1 through 9. It's very short. The setting for the account is the plain of Shinar, which is located about 550 miles due east from Jerusalem, close to about 56 miles south from Baghdad, Iraq, currently Baghdad, Iraq, back then, Babylon. 
if we take a look at the first four verses of Genesis 11, 1 through 4, this is what we read. The entire earth was of one language, of one speech. Verse 2, the people journeyed from the east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. Verse 3, and they said one to another, let us make bricks and we will burn them thoroughly. Now, this indicates that they were going to be made into some kind of ceramic brick. This wasn't just clay that was allowed to dry. Clay bricks are usually fired for 10 to 40 hours. The clay slowly melts with the sand, and then as the temperature drops, you, drops, you have this solid brick that's like a rock, essentially, of one material. Then, according to verse 3 of Genesis 11, they had these bricks for stones, and they used tar or bitumen, or asphalt, as we would call it today. That's what they used for mortar instead of cement. And in verse 4, they said, Let us build a city or a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. The make us a name reference seems to be the idea of let's become famous. So is this story true? The language part of the story, that there was just one language, and then at the time of the Tower of Babel, the languages were confounded, and there were a number of different languages, seems to be in contradiction to the prior chapter in Genesis, Genesis chapter 5, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 10, which in verse 5 talks about the Gentiles and their families having their own tongues or their own languages. Also in Genesis 10, in verse 20, we hear that the sons and families of Ham, the same Ham who was on the flood of Noah, this family, Ham and his family members, had their own tongues or languages. And then in verse 31 of chapter 10 of Genesis, we learn the same is true for Shem, who was also on the ark, and his sons and their families had their own languages or tongues. So if they all had their same languages and tongues before the Tower of Babel account, that doesn't quite match up. If we discard the idea that the tongues were confounded at the Tower of Babel, then maybe we have a little more to work with, or perhaps there's some problem with the transmission of the texts, and this all will work out. Let's move on then to the part that we can reconcile, which is the part about the tower that reaches heaven. Is this plausible? As we will see, yes, it is, because... This is a subjective description, a tower that reaches to heaven. It's not some specific height. Why would the word tower be used is something that scholars have argued off and on for a long, long time. Because this is something that's made of bricks. You don't describe bricks as a tower, typically. The tallest structures in the ancient world were, after all, 
temples and pyramids. The Jews, who, of course, wrote the Genesis account, didn't want to call this structure they associated with evil as a temple. They also did not use the word um, the word pyramid, so they used the word tower instead. Other sources back up Bible Tower Babel story. The Book of Jubilees contains one of the most detailed accounts found anywhere of the tower. It says that it took 43 years to build it. It describes its height, its width, and so forth. This is from chapter 10, verses 20 through 21 of the R.H. Charles 1913 translation. Charles was a highly regarded scholar. Next, we have as a source that confirms the idea of the Tower of Babel was real, the Jewish Roman historian Flavius Josephus. In his famous historical history, The Antiquities of the Jews, which was written in 94 of the Common Era, he recounted history as found in the Hebrew Bible, and he mentions the Tower of Babel. He wrote that it was Nimrod, the king, who had built the tower, and that he was a tyrant who tried to turn the people away from the true God. Josephus said that the place where they built the tower is now called Babylon. We also have the famous oracle, Sibyl, who makes mention of the Tower of Babel, and that the confusion of the languages, which is also, interestingly enough, a part of her account, says that when all men were of one language, some of them built a high tower as if they would thereby ascend to heaven, but the gods sent a storm of winds and overthrew the tower. This is something that's different from the biblical account because we don't have the destruction of the tower described there. When we come back, more about the Tower of Babel, evidence that it's a true story. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. Religion Today with Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. We're back. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. If you would like to attend an exciting event, if you're interested in near-death experiences, you are invited to attend a free event open to the public this Friday, February 25th from 7 to 8 p.m. at the Salt Lake County Complex Auditorium at 2100 South State Street in Salt Lake City. The presenter will be Suzanne Seymour, who at age 12, when she was skiing with her brother, had her scarf wrap around the rope of the rope toe that was pulling her up the hill, to the top of the hill, so she could ski down. She struggled to get free before she got to the top, but she went unconscious. Her neck was broken. At the top, her spirit left her body. She was laying in the snow, battered and severely injured. She described Jesus helping her and taking her to a place she calls heaven. Although her family 
was not religious. She says she knows it was Jesus. You can come hear her amazing description of what Jesus was like, his personality and appearance, and about what heaven was like. Free and open to the public this Friday, February 25th, 7 to 8 p.m. at 21st South and State Street. If you have any questions about it, feel free to email me for details. Martin S. Tanner at gmail.com. Martin S. Tanner at gmail.com. And I'll be happy to respond. So today our discussion is around the Tower of Babel. True or not? Historical event or some kind of legend. And when we took our break, we were talking about other sources than the than the Bible that actually have information about the Tower of Babel and describe it as true. We had wrapped things up with the famous Oracle Sibyl who mentions the Tower of Babel in her accounts. The Jewish literature offers many, many different accounts for the Tower of Babel. Several are in the Midrash and they don't just talk about the tower as if it were a legend or an allegory, but if, as if it were real. So the biblical account, what is the internal evidence from the Bible or any external evidence about when it was written? The answer is that Bible scholars believe the account of the Tower of Babel dates to 3500 B.C. to maybe 3000 B.C., It's based on five details in the story. First, that it was built in Shinar at Babylon. That's in verse 2. Shinar, the archaeology there, dates to at least 3500 B.C. and probably much, much earlier. So the time frame allows for the Tower of Babel narrative in the Bible to be true. Point number two, the tower and the city were built together in verses 4 and 5, and this was the custom of the time. Ancient ziggurats or step pyramids were built in cities or in connection with them. Point three, the Tower of Babel was made of baked brick, according to verse three. This is, well, it was at the time a fairly new method of building, but it was certainly widespread at the time, and it rings true that that's the time when such a technology would be used. Point four, the mortar used was asphalt or bitumen. That's something that was available at that time and at that location. Also, based on the descriptions of the tower from different sources, we realize that this must be a ziggurat, which is a stepped pyramid. If you are used to pyramids, it's probably the Great Pyramid of Giza or something similar to that that has four sides and they're all smooth on the outside. Visualize instead of those four smooth sides, a stepped pyramid, maybe like a large square stepping stone. And then on top of it, a slightly smaller square stepping stone. And on top of that, a slightly smaller square stepping stone. So each step goes up a little bit like stairs on every single side of this pyramid. That was the original style of pyramids. 
And that's the style that would have been around at the time of the Tower of Babel story. Genesis 11 says that it was in Shinar. That would be about 550 miles due east from present-day Jerusalem. We have actually found the remnants of the Tower of Babel. The foundation is still in existence, 56 miles south of ancient Babylon. More about that in a minute as time permits. The book of Genesis doesn't talk about how tall the tower was. It says that it reached to the top of the sky or into the skies. This is just really an idiom for a very impressive height or something that's really high. The book of Jubilees says that it was four, excuse me, 5,433 cubits, which would be 8,150 feet, which is absolutely impossible. That would be three times as high as the highest building in the world today. Absolutely impossible. The Apocalypse of Baruch mentions that the Tower of Strife, as it's called there, measured about 463 cubits, which would be 695 feet. That would be taller than any structure ever built in human history, until the construction of the Eiffel Tower in 1889, which is a little over a 1,000 feet. Possible? Yeah, now we're getting into the realm of possibility. There's an account by an early historian, Rosius, who says that the tower was about 300 feet high. Now we're down into the realms of possibilities. We have a number of accounts that describe the tower as being 91 meters high. That's about the same height as the ordinary football field today. The proper length of football fields today, 100 yards, is tall. The Tower of Babel location that I've been mentioning that's south of Baghdad, Iraq, is that of a tower called Etemenanki. The Sumerian says that that is, quote, the temple of the foundation of heaven and earth, close quote. This is the ancient location for a ziggurat dedicated to Marduk in the city of Babylon. It's been rebuilt several times, but was originally built well before 3000 BC. There's a royal inscription of Nebuchadnezzar II on a stela from ancient Babylon, which was found in 1917 in some excavations. And on this Stella from ancient Babylon, it says, quote, Etimenanki, the ziggurat of Babylon. I made it, the wonder of the people of the world. I raised its top to the heaven. I made doors for the gates and I covered it with bitumen and bricks. That sounds very, very much like the biblical description. There are some other ancient sources which also back up the idea that it was true. The famous Shoyen collection was reviewed by a number of scholars. In 2011, they found what is now the oldest known representation of the Tower of Babel, or Etimenanki. It's carved on a black stone, now typically called by scholars the Tower of Babel Stella. It dates to only about 600 BC at the time of Nebuchadnezzar II, which would have been at a time when Etimenanki had been rebuilt a number of times. All of these descriptions, including 
a reconstruction of the Tower of Babel, which is on exhibit in the Pergamon Museum in Berlin, attests to the idea that scholars and many sources outside of the Bible all show that there's a historical basis for the biblical account in Genesis 11 of the Tower of Babel. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.